Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, my name is Dallas here, joining you today from Brazil. Today we have another incredible guest joining us, another author, pastor, and amazing man of God. His name is Chase Replicable. Chase, how are you today? Such a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you. It's good to join you. And uh, I'm in uh, Missouri, so a long ways from Brazil, but isn't technology great? It's great to be able to but talk to you. But not that far, because I am a Missouri native as well. So I, oh, it's really? always right here in my heart. Good. Well, it's almost Cardinal baseball season. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, we that connects us, even if distance separates us. And so you're in Springfield, yeah? Yep, that's right. Yeah, I pastor in Springfield. Live in Ozark, which is just south okay, of Okay, okay. So you were born and raised in Missouri. I am. Yeah. My dad was a uh, Missouri State Highway Patrolman. So we moved around the state quite a bit, but I grew up in Jefferson City, the capital, kind of right in the middle of the mm-hmm. state. And I've been a Missouri native and resident my whole life. Man, you are a good man, Chase. I grew up in Northwest Missouri. So like Maryville, St. Joe, if you know this area. Probably oh, sure. Not. Yep. Up, yep, up above, above Kansas uh, City. Sure. Yep. Over towards Kansas City. That's where I'm from. So Brazil is a far place from, from where <laughs> I started, but it's a great thing. So Chase, you are an author of a book called The Five Masculine Instincts, and I've been excited to get someone on the show to talk about biblical masculinity for some time now. And so I'm really excited to have you because I am a young man learning what it's what does the Bible say about being a man? I want to know and I want to apply it in my life, in my marriage, in my parenting. I want to know what this is. And so I'm really excited to have you here. Genuinely excited. So I'm going to give you just some time, Chase, just to tell us about your Christian walk with the Lord. Why are you a believer today? Why did you become a pastor? Some some different things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thanks. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home. I had great Christian parents, kind of first generation Christians. My my dad actually got saved through a, a men's basketball league. So he had grown up kind of nominally Methodist, but uh, started playing basketball and a pastor invited him and my mom to church in their 20s. And uh, they went and sort of had a salvation experience, started attending. And so I, I grew up in the church because of that, but with not a lot of church history in my family. So, um, uh, but great parents that loved the Lord. Uh, that faith for me was a big part of growing up. I mean, we were involved in the church. We participated. I, I sort of did all the programs the church had. And in high school, um, started my between my junior and senior year feeling a call to full-time ministry, not even really, especially even for my parents, knowing exactly what that meant or what that looked mm-hmm. like, but ended up going to a Bible college because of it. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I was certainly a believer. I, I think I was a Christian at that point. I had given my life to the Lord, but I had what I sometimes will describe as a kind of awakening experience in college. So, you know, we had, the U.S. has gone through these moments of great awakening where people, mm-hmm. many people of faith, all of a sudden found that faith more alive or more active. And that was kind of the experience I had. Um, I remember reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer, kind of a great German writer during World War II, post-Nazi regime, and ended up giving his 
life was executed because of it. Uh, I read his book, The Cost of Discipleship, just on the side in college. And just it, it was kind of a profound life-changing experience for me where he writes about in the beginning that there's a, a cheap grace and there's a costly grace. And the cheap grace is, sort of doesn't lead to life change. It's just received for you know what we can get out of it. And then there's this costly ga- grace that recognizes the price that Christ paid. And so it's willing to give all of who we are uh, to become a follower of Christ. And um, it sounds super simplistic to say, but it was as if I had this realization that all of this Christian life and faith that I had been living, even the ministry I was looking at going into, I had this experience that it was all about Jesus, that it was all about my relationship with Jesus and my willingness to follow Jesus. And that became a a pretty life-altering experience with the book, with my own personal life, my own spiritual practice, and put me kind of on this trajectory I am today. So in many ways, I think this is true for a lot of people who grew up in the church. There's the... For people from the outside, it just looks all the same, right? I was sort of born into it, grew up in it, continued <laughs> yeah. in it. Uh, but for me, there was really these moments like that one where all of a sudden it became alive and active in a really personal and powerful way. Mm-hmm. And so this happened in college. You had this awakening in college. Yeah, really my freshman year of Bible college. So not just college. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I was studying the Bible. I was a believer. Um, but but I think a lot of it was kind of the, what I was supposed to do, right? A lot of it was doing the mm-hmm. right thing that I was expected <laughs> yeah. to do. And something about my motivation, which is probably something we'll get into even with the book, something about my motives for why I was doing it became no longer just about doing the right thing, but doing the costly thing, doing the thing for Christ and obedience to Christ. It became more personal mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, I think that's a great reminder too, because we're seeing now the revival that's happening in Asbury and all of these different things, you know, echoing around that, that this is at a university. And so many times people go to university and lose their faith. But Bible college, thank God that this is a place where you found your awakening and you found the Lord in a deeper way. And I think that's a great reminder. And what you're saying of of the book that you're reading as well, that there is cheap grace and that there is a costly grace. And that's a reminder for me that hits me a little bit. So it's not so simple as you may say, it's it's deep. It's deep. And I'm grateful that you brought that up. I'm going to try to find that book because I've never read that book before. Yeah, it's a great one. It's not his, my favorite Bonhoeffer book is Life Together. It's smaller. It's about the time he led an underground seminary in Germany mm. and what com- Christian community looks like. Um, the Cost wow. of Discipleship is a little bit harder because it's kind of dealing with some of the things in the 30s, but you would you would read it and enjoy it. So just know you're yeah. reading a book kind of written in the 30s. So it's a, got some history beneath it, but yeah, re- really, really powerful kind of classic book. Well, thanks for sharing all of that. Now I feel like we know you a little bit better and we can dive deeper into your book. So what? when did you become a writer? So you're a pastor by trade. You have a passion to lead, but how did that become a writer and author as well? Yeah, so I I always you're right. I always thought of myself as a speaker. Um, even you know before ministry, I imagined I'd go into law or something like that. I'd always done speech and debate, and uh, I, I've thought about how to be improve as a speaker, a preacher. And uh, early on in ministry, when I was preaching every single week, I, I would feel sometimes in the pulpit like I was spinning my wheels. I'd say something, and I wouldn't I, I wouldn't know if people got it, and so I'd try to say it another way, and then I still wasn't sure, and I'd kind of just mm-hmm. lose momentum, you know, and end up kind of repeating myself and feeling like I didn't know how I wanted to say it uh, spontaneously. And so I, I made the move early in ministry to start uh, writing my sermons. So uh, I literally, every word of my sermon, I would take some liberty to, to go off script, but I would sit down ahead of time and write out, you know, usually three or 4,000 words every single week, my sermons. And I really fell in love with that process of trying to say something the right way and caring about what was the best way to say it. And um, I did that for years to this day, I still do. So 10 years now, every week I'm transcribing my sermons, writing them all out. Um, and through that process, just decided 
as a pastor, you're preaching every every seven day, right? So you get these sermons, they're they're one after another, they don't slow down. Uh, but sometimes you realize there's more in that passage than I could mine out of it in just that six days yeah. of preparation. And so I started wanting to spend more time kind of digging into bigger questions and spending more time in passages of scripture. And that turned in for me uh, the best way to do that through writing. So doing it through articles, doing it through the blog, um, conversations and podcasts that I do, but then ultimately working towards that in a, a full length book project. So it really does. Most of my writing, the questions I'm interested in, the, the the stuff that I'm writing about flows out of pastoring. My interest in writing as a tool of communicating flows out of preaching mm -hmm. and pastoring. That being a pastor is really at the core of who I am, even as a writer. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. The Preacher, The Prophecy, and The Fire is a new concept album written by Simon Hoover. This album was inspired by the fire of Ulysses, Norway, in 1904, a supernatural modern-day event that displays that Jesus is alive and is performing miracles through His servants in our lifetime. It is a story about the gospel, persecution, angelic visitations, God's protection, and revival. Listen to the album by searching The Preacher, The Prophecy, and The Fire on YouTube today. Are you looking for a podcast that you can tune into, grab a cup of tea, and just relax listening to godly-inspired truths that edify your life? Then As I Grow Up by Carla Silver has the podcast for you. Through her podcast, she discusses what she has learned in her walk with Christ and takes you on her journey as she learns more. Find more information by searching As I Grow Up on all streaming platforms. And a little bit deeper into the book. So one more time, the uh, for our audience, the title is The Five Masculine Instincts. And so first off, what are the instincts of man? <laughs> and let's break that down a little bit without giving too much of the book away, of course. And then we can dive sure. a little bit deeper into how it applies to us men in 2023. Yeah. So um, again, this is a good example. That question about masculinity, what does it mean to be not just a man, but a Christian man? That's a, that's a question I recognized as a pastor. You know, not only was I wrestling with, I'm raising a son. I see the men in my congregation. I see what's happening culturally around the question. And I knew it's an area where a lot of us are trying to figure out in 2023, what does it mean to be a Christian man today? And I also was recognizing as a pastor that that's not a, that's not a simple one size fits all answer that as men, we have different motivations. We sometimes even behave in similar ways, but out of different, what I will call instincts, different motives. And that was really what I was trying to explore is, is what is driving beneath the surface, the behavior, the practices that we express as men. And I, I came across Shakespeare has a play. There's a famous line in one of the monologues, all the world's a stage. And each of us have our entrance and exits. And a man in his day plays seven, several parts. Um, many people have heard that quote. Shakespeare goes on to describe these seven stages of a man's life, the first being birth, the last being death. And in the middle, there are these five stages that are, go from like a school-aged child into what we might imagine as the retirement years. And in each of those images, Shakespeare was depicting motivations that are driving men's character. And I recognized right away encountering them, not only aspects of my own life, but also men in my congregation. And pretty quickly that these you can see these instincts at work, these images at work within the men of the Bible. And I think it's really important to say what I mean by instinct too, because what I'm not trying to say with the book are these are the five sins that men need to watch out for. You know, be careful you don't ever experience these. Nor are these the five expectations. You know, you have to check these five boxes to be a man. Mm -hmm. uh, C.S. Lewis used the definition for instinct as behavior as if from knowledge. 
that you and I behave as if we've decided, as if we've thought it through, as if we have a rational reason for behaving that way. When in reality, often we've not really stopped to consider it. It seems like common sense to us. We behave in kind of a knee-jerk reaction with our own self-justification, but we've never stopped to consider why is it that I'm doing that? Why do I feel that way? Why do I act that way? And that's really what the book is about. It's about asking, what is motivating my behavior as a man? What what of those instincts, those assumptions I've made, how do they leave me vulnerable? How how undisciplined can they lead towards destruction, which I think we see in the mm-hmm. biblical examples? And then the bigger question, how can I take responsibility for those instincts and mature them into something that actually becomes useful, something that we might call character or virtue in a man's life? And for me, that gets it a that gets it the broader question about you know, the book subtitle is a guide to becoming a better man. That question, that's the one I'm really interested in. There's a question about what does it mean to be a man? I think the better question is how do we become better men? That's really what we're after. How do I just improve? How do I serve better, bear greater responsibility, be a person of better integrity and character? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what the book's trying to get at. How do we pay close attention to what's motivating our behavior? How do we recognize the the possible destruction in that? And how do we begin to mature those instincts into something more useful, into something better? Yeah. Can you give me one practical example that we see of a what drives a man and the behavior and all of those things that you're describing? Yeah. So the second instinct in the book I write about is adventure. And it's usually associated, um, Shakespeare describes it as the the, the thwarted lover. So it's uh, he doesn't just mean romantic love, although that's a part of it. He also means this romantic view of life. And I think this is everywhere in our culture right now. I'm raising a couple of young kids. I see it in all the Disney content and it's in the storytelling around us. And the idea is that to know who you are, your true identity, mm-hmm. You have to be able to set aside the expectations of tradition and place and everyone around you. And you need to go on a kind of epic quest to discover yourself, to find out who you actually are. And I think a lot of men are feeling that. Um, it, you can feel it when you're young. You can also feel it um, you know, when you wake up one day and realize you have two kids to feed and a dog and a car payment and a mortgage and an office cubicle. That None of this panned out to be the, the adventure you thought it was going to be. And there's a kind of restlessness that begins to form. You feel like you're losing yourself. Now, the important point to make is adventure is not sinful. It's not wrong to go and do something adventurous. God calls us. I mean, you're a missionary in Brazil. There's an element of of adventure, of going to a new place and serving, sometimes in difficult places. It's not that adventure is sinful. But I think we all know in ourselves and we know men where that restless need for adventure and the hope that it's going to make you something or you'll discover who you are that there's a, a, an indulgence of that instinct that can actually weaken your commitment to family and to place and faith and vocation. And you can actually end up sacrificing a lot of really important things in that pursuit of yourself to discover who you are. And I think in the end, um, miss out on a lot, actually sacrifice a lot. Uh, so the the point is, across all these instincts, how do you recognize how it can lead you to destruction if not matured and controlled? And then how do you discipline it into something that can actually be useful and better? With this instinct, so you're you're laying it down for us that we have a positive way to take it and a negative way to take it, right? This mm-hmm. We have two avenues right. with each decision. And so let's use an example. Um, a husband and a wife are in disagreement, right? Let's go from there. Move on from that. Well, let me give you a little piece of advice. A lot of the book is framed around um, the Apostle Paul gave the young man Timothy a piece of advice. Now, Timothy's not in this Mm -hmm. marriage situation, but he's serving in Ephesus, which is a really challenging place to pastor because Ephesus in particular has uh, gender conflicts. There's issues there where men and women are disagreeing and there's issues Mm -hmm. about who's leading and there's challenges that are causing division. 
And uh, Timothy gets sent in to try to sort this out as a young man. And Paul gives him the piece of advice. Uh, keep the, You will lead well. You'll save those who are your hearers and yourself. So you'll show progress to them. If you learn to keep a close watch on your life and a close watch on the teaching. So he tells him to pay attention to two things. And I think this is really interesting. He doesn't just say, pay close attention to yourself, right? Watch watch yourself. There, There is a narrative that says you just need to look inside, embrace what you feel, express your truth. But Paul doesn't just give him that piece of advice. He says you also need to keep a close watch on the teaching, which is shorthand for the doctrine or the gospel, what you've been taught mm-hmm. through faith. It's also interesting to say Paul doesn't just say keep a close eye on your doctrine because you can have a head full of information, all the right information about God. And if that doesn't get pressed down into your life, mm-hmm. you're not living it, right? You become what Jesus calls the Pharisees, like whitewashed tomb to you, tombs. You have all the information, but inside it's still rotting corpses. So Paul says the way you're going to make progress is learning to do these two actions. How do you keep mm-hmm. close watch on your own life? What are my motives and instincts? What's driving my behavior? And what do I have through the resources of faith through Christ and the gospel that allows me to check that and mature that? So I would say to a, a man who's sort of constantly finding himself in disagreement with his wife, conflict, it's really easy to just assume you're right and think only in the headspace of my arguments, my points, yeah, <laughs> what I know. Mm-hmm. And to not be able to step away and have that discipline of self-reflection to say, okay, I know the argument is on this level, but what are these motivations going on at the level below? What's 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 leading me to behave or say the things that I'm saying? Uh, because it's those two pieces together that allow us to begin making progress. Self-knowledge, gospel knowledge, that interaction of those two things, the way they check each other as well, too. The gospel checks my instincts and helps me discipline them towards something better. So yeah, I do think when it comes to conflict of any kind, uh, we have to be really careful we're doing that sort of self-knowledge work uh, ahead of time and as a part of those discussions. Mm-hmm. And the second part about parenting as well. So talk a little bit deeper about the instincts in parenting as fatherhood and the role that a father plays in a child's life, because I think that's that's crucial, having a father in in, in a biblical way, of course. You know, one of the things good books do, you know, it's funny, we were talking about Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship a minute ago, and even you sort of echoed back that language of cheap grace and costly grace. One of the things a good book does is it gives us language for talking about something that we might not have had the language for before. One of the things I hope this book does is I hope it gives men the the language to be able to talk about instincts where before Mm -hmm. we just might not have had the language to talk about. You might be feeling that restlessness for adventure and just to you and in the world around you, that just seems 100% natural. Like you don't need a word to describe it. That's just who we are as men, right? Mm -hmm. But the ability to name it and talk about it uh, the philosopher Nietzsche said that your instincts l- loosen control. They lose their control when you begin to uh, to interrogate them, to question them. Mm-hmm. When you get language and start asking hard questions about why you do the things you do, you, you, you begin to mature by those instincts losing some of their control, their power over you. So what I hope this book does is I hope it gives men with men and men in small groups maybe and within churches those tools of communication. But, you know, I, um, I dedicated the book to my son. He's only eight. So, you know, he's yeah still very young. But I hope it's also a tool for us as he's growing and as I'm talking about my own life to be able to recognize, you know, some of these these instincts at work within him that we've got a, a way of communicating and talking, but we've also got because the book's framed around Old Testament biblical figures, he's got some stories and language to go to and start recognizing. Because the truth is growing as a man is not something we don't we don't hit a certain age and arrive. You know, Shakespeare has these these ages that develop all the way through from birth to death. 
And the questions of faith continue for us from birth to death. And oftentimes they become different questions because as we age, these instincts change. Things we thought we mastered in youth show up in different ways or different forms as we grow older. And so Mm -hmm. as a father trying to teach his son, part of this is just continuing to teach myself, continuing to be teachable so that I'm learning. And I hope that's happening within the church too. Um, This is one of the areas we just have to improve is older men being able to bring along younger men and all of us being able to recognize that though there's plenty of differences here, we're, we're working through some of these same instincts, through some of these same stories that have been repeated, and there's knowledge to be shared between these ages. So yeah, I hope I hope conversation is the key, and I hope the book's a tool for some of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking a little bit about mentorship, the power of having a mentor or being a mentee to somebody, somebody else. Yeah, and recognizing sometimes that um, I had a professor in seminary that used to talk about reverse mentorship too, that older guys learning from younger guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Like we certainly need people who have been through these same instincts and phases before us. But a lot of times it's, I think the the body of Christ has this family kind of relationship, which is often recognizing that we're sharing in these things, that that it's true. I may be able to see. So the, the last instinct I write about is apathy, which isn't always, but often can come towards the end of life, that in my youth, I may see see that apathy setting in in an older brother, he may see the sort of sarcasm or immaturity, the first instinct I write Mm -hmm. about in a younger brother, that we can actually see these things in each other in both directions better uh, if we're willing to have conversations about those. And if we're willing to do that work we talked about, we're all paying attention to what's motivating us. That's not just a game you do until you're 18 and now you're an adult and you're ready, right? (laughs) Like even even at 80, I'm still asking questions about what are my motives? You know, what do I have in Christ that helps me mature those motives? That work just keeps continuing. That's amazing because it's not something that I consider, right? You you do think like without even thinking that I will arrive and I will stop asking questions and I will figure it out. But the reality is we will continue asking questions. If we're living healthy lives with the Lord, we will still remain humble and ask questions. I think that's a great yeah, reminder. Abraham's a great example of that because you get, I think there's a kind mm-hmm. of false ending story to Abraham. So Abraham, you get to the end of Genesis chapter 21 and Abraham, Isaac, his wait, the heir that he's been waiting for, the son he's been waiting for is there. And it says that he, well, Abraham in chapter 21 signs peace treaties with all his neighbors. And it says he plants a tamarisk tree by the well in Beersheba and he he rests there. He sets down. It's, it's kind of this, like, it's the end of his story. Everything that he's been like battling and waiting and pressing through through by faith finally comes to a conclusion and everything that he's been looking for is there. And there's that symbolism of he puts down roots, right? He plants this tree and sets beneath it. It's his story's coming to a conclusion and you expect to turn the page and it's Isaac's story, you know, Abraham and Mm -hmm. Isaac and then Jacob. But you turn the page from Genesis 21 to Genesis 22 and you read really famous opening words, but God tested Abraham. And it's in that moment he calls Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, Isaac. There's a lot you right. can say about that calling. But one of the things I think it does is it recognizes there's a danger in Abraham at this moment that he may still believe in God and have faith in God, but all of the active things he's believing for have been fulfilled. It's There's a risk that his faith begins to die in that moment or that he's diminished in his faith. And so God, even at that very, very old age, right? So he was old even before he had Isaac. So we're at the very end of Abraham's life and God is still testing him, which you want to say, come on, has Abraham not passed the test by now? He's proved himself by now, but that's not the point. This isn't a pass or fail test. This is a keep your faith alive and active into those complexities test. And God's doing that in Abraham's life all the way up till the very end. Wow. You mentioned a little bit, it reminded me of this question, godly discipline. So what is it like to be disciplined by the Lord as a man leading your husband, leading or leading as a husband, leading your family, your wife, your kids, 
Yeah, well, I think part of it is the, uh, the willingness to recognize that I need I need to learn from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's I write a little bit about this in um, in the very first instinct, which is sarcasm, which you know we imagine is just a, a joke, right? So mm-hmm. it, there's nothing sinful about a sarcastic joke. But I think we all also know men that can't ever take anything seriously because they make mm-hmm. everything a joke, and that there's a kind of sarcasm that can refuse to be disciplined, corrected. That anytime something serious or something that might make me vulnerable comes up, wants to sort of laugh it off or make little of it. Um, and that's really, I think that's the story of, of, um, uh, of uh, I'm blanking right now, my, I'm talking too much, of Cain, excuse me. So Cain mm-hmm. and Abel. Uh, Cain has this opportunity. His sacrifice is rejected. God comes down and offers Cain this warning. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain. Don't you recognize it? Well, what does Cain do? He doesn't even converse with God. He murders his brother. God comes down a second time and says, Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says in this sarcastic moment, am I my brother's keeper? Mm -hmm. You know, well, Mm -hmm. that's not really an answer. He knows exactly where he is. He's just hit his body in the field. But really the question for Cain is, why was he not willing? God came down and warned him. God came down and willingly offered to have a conversation with him about his sacrifice and why it was rejected. But Cain couldn't have enough humility, couldn't crack that door open to his inner life to entertain that discipline, to entertain that lesson that God was offering. And we all know this is true. If you played any sports or had a coach in anything, part of a coach's job is to inflict pain, right? Like to make you work hard, to test you, to break you down, mm-hmm. to show you your vulnerabilities. Why? So that you're better prepared. Like uh, that's what God's trying to do in Cain's life. He's trying to show him his vulnerabilities, creating mm-hmm. a moment of pain and difficulty so Cain can mature beyond it. But in his immaturity, Cain can't receive the lesson. He 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 sort of uses sarcasm as a cover for his contempt against that authority against God. And it's a warning to all of us. God is willing. God does not ask you to do it all on your own. He doesn't ask you to figure it all out on your own. He's willing to come down and engage you to show you how sin is at your door, where you're vulnerable to help lead you in that. But it does necessitate you having enough humility to open your life to God and to receive that divine lesson. And unfortunately it was something Cain couldn't bring himself to do. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest vulnerability of a man? And you said that the book is not about the the sins of the man and all these things you should watch out for. But what would you say that is? You know, that's hard. I think um, I think I can speak to this moment. I think different men are different. So we're kind of talking in generalities. And I think the times that we live in has an impact on those particular vulnerabilities. Um, I think, well, number one, the largest one is I think a, a life without a relationship with God without Christ. I think you're sort of on your own to figure all this stuff out when you have, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is Paul, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. You need that thing, Christ, the gospel that's going to shape you and challenge you. But to be more specific to Christian men today too, um, the culture is really concerned about aggression in men. You hear a lot of conversations about men being too aggressive or needing to control sort of stoicism, competitiveness, aggression of men. Uh, but I always there's a Irish proverb that says for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch, right? There's a ditch on both sides of the road. Yeah. And I think the opposite ditch yeah. of aggression is apathy. And I think a lot of men are checking out right now. So whether that's the fatherlessness epidemic that we have, whether that's disengaged fathers in the home who may be physically present but aren't, whether it's the dropping out of, of men in church, women continue to practice faith more, mm-hmm. show up more than men, that disengagement of men, that apathy that's driving that is, is I think, one of the real challenges facing men today, facing Christian men today as well, too. Let's go to this topic that the beautiful thing that even though we are men, we're strong men, we're we're leading our families, we are still the bride of Christ at the end of the day. We are the bride of Christ. And I believe that the Lord calls us 
as the bride into purity. And so how would you talk a little bit about the purity of man in leading our family and also as in the return of Jesus Christ and being the bride for the bridegroom? Yeah, isn't it uh, such an interesting image that that God doesn't just he's not interested in just flattering our masculinity, right? right. The mantra, he, yeah. We are the bride, you're right. Like he right. I, wants to identify with us that way too. Um and at the heart of it is this question of purity, it is this prep question of preparation, preparing myself mm-hmm. to receive to meet Christ in that way too, which I think um is a big part of what you're asking. What does it mean to be a pure man in the world that we live in right. today? Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, everything is sexified, everything, every single thing, music, yep. TV, advertisements, everything. How do we live pure? And then the word says, right, by the word. <laughs> How does a young man keep his way pure? By the word. And so continue, Chase. Yeah, right. I think you need to do some wrestling. And I say you being mm-hmm. everybody who's listening, myself included, on why those particular sins are tempting mm-hmm. to us because they're not always the same. You know, it's really easy to say, you know, don't look at pornography. It's really easy to say, you know, wait until you're married uh, to have mm-hmm. sex, uh, which is all true and accurate. They are part of holiness, but it's also those temptations can be used at different points in a man's life. Some man can some man can retreat into pornography as an escape from something they don't want to deal with in themselves. Um, sometimes it can be about a personal insecurity. You're looking for some sort of a affirmation. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a distraction. You can be motivated by very different things, and I think a lot of times what happens for us as men is we we uh you know we we beat that mantra of purity to ourselves and we do our best to just through willpower alone and we never mm-hmm. actually get to that deeper question of why is this particular sin so tempting to me why do i fall prey to this this particular temptation over and over and what's happening in my spiritual life my personal life this question of instincts that's leaving me vulnerable to that particular uh temptation because until until we begin to receive christ into those places of vulnerability you know until i begin to recognize my my value in christ and my confidence in christ until i understand what i possess in christ then i'm always going to be vulnerable to the world and its temptations manipulating those things into sin. So I think purity is not, it sometimes gets framed as just an external conversation, right? That it can be beaten, which by the way, I believe in accountability. I have accountability Mm -hmm. software and account people I talk to like do all of those things, Uh, but then also dig deeper and say, so why am I vulnerable? You know, what are the things and do that in accountability, have that conversation with other men that you trust to what might be motivating you to fall prey to those particular temptations. I think purity is both in a question of external best practices, right? Yeah. But it's also a question of fulfilling those inner needs with Christ mm-hmm. in such a way that you're not vulnerable to the world's temptation to find those things in, in sex or really any other temptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chase, thank you so much for the way that you speak, the way that you you take a topic and you tackle it because it's not just this is wrong, this is right. It's like you understand what causes, what's driving it, and you like you really do do what you're saying in the book. How does it lead me to be better? How does it lead me to be worse? And you, it's amazing, amazing. I want to ask one more question about your website itself. So you have a like a a, a manly, you can say it better than I can, but it's like a manly assessment. What would you call that? Yeah, I call it the masculine instinct assessment. So it's uh, it's nothing said. scientific. It's 25 questions, but it'll introduce you to the five instincts I cover in the book. And it'll make a, a suggestion. Maybe this instinct's the strongest in your life right now. And it's a way, um, if you take it, um, you know, there's, I'll send you an email with the results, but there's also a version reading plan for each of the instincts. There's some podcast episodes for each of the instincts. So it's a good way to start learning, even if you don't pick up the book. Um, and there's also on the website, there's a PDF study guide. So you could download it. It's got personal reflection questions as well as group questions if you're interested in using the book in a group setting. 
yeah, I think this is a, an amazing way to craft what you have here too. Because I took this, I took the test, I took the assessment and I was like, whoa, I'm ambitious. And so you told me before I'm a missionary. So it kind of makes sense. And yeah, it's so, got yeah. you interested in that chapter now. Yeah, so absolutely. yeah, good, good. That's what absolutely. I hope it does. So I, I love it. I love it. Well, I really appreciate your time here today, Chase, and everything that you shared with us. Um, anything else you want to tell us about the book, about coming features that are that are on your site or anything like this? Yeah, I'm continuing to to write. I've got a, my own podcast called the Pastor Writer Podcast, where I interview Christian authors. So if you're ever looking for book recommendations or what to read next, those interviews are usually always around a, a book that's coming out or a book that's been helpful to me. And I think the last thing I would say to men is just don't don't lose hope. Um, you know, the one of the things I learned from the biblical characters in writing the book is it's easy to set them up as heroes. They figured it out. They did it right. But if you really read their stories, they're companions. They fail as often as we fail. They get it wrong as often as we do. But yet God was faithful to walk with them, faithful to lead them. And that's the thing. At the end of the day, God is not asking you to be the perfect man. He's not asking you to like put on masculinity and strut around yeah. in it. He's really saying, humble yourself and follow me. Um, be willing to pay a high cost, right? This is that costly, costly grace. It will cost you something to do that. But if you're willing to follow Christ, he'll see you through. You know, there's this great parable Jesus tells about a fig tree that wasn't producing and the uh, landlord comes out and says, cut it down. And the steward says, well, let me give it one more year and let me spread some more manure around the roots and let's see what happens. And I end the book with that parable because I think it's fitting. The, the work you've been called to is work the gospel into the soil of your life. Pay attention to your motives. Take your eye for a moment off of the fruit, You know, whether you look like a man, whether you feel like a man, that kind of manhood that feels like it's got to prove itself is not real manhood. Manhood and that sense of manhood is a fruit. It's a byproduct that grows from the work that you do growing in Christ and understanding your instincts and motives. So give yourself a break. Don't feel like you have to prove anything. <laughs> And start working yeah. on that relationship with Christ and those deepest parts of what your motivation and instincts are. And that sense of being a man will be there. It will come. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Chase. Where can we find you on social media and also your website, find the book itself, all of those other things? Sure. So the uh, the five masculine instincts.com, you can Google that as well too. Everything around the book is there. And then pastorwriter.com is a great place to just uh, reach out to me. The social media accounts are all the pastor writer, but you can find those links there as well too. So the five masculine instincts.com and pastorwriter.com. Great. And if I can have you end our time together with a prayer, I would also greatly appreciate that. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I know you have more listeners than just men, but I'll pray uh, if that's all right for the men. That <laughs> Today, the men well are tuning too, in. So. We got to know what this that's is like. Right. And for the wives out there who are going to introduce this to their husbands, come on. Yeah, Perfect. I find a Thank lot you. of wives and moms particularly interested in this conversation as well. Yeah. So I don't think they'll mind the prayer. So well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you. We thank you for men that you're calling to follow you. We thank you for men who are serving as fathers and husbands and volunteering in churches and showing up to work each day. And Lord, we understand that it can be a confusing time to be a man. Uh, there's so much advice and controversy even around this conversation. But I thank you that you say that your, your burden is light and that your yoke is easy, yeah. that you call us to follow you, not as perfect men or to prove ourselves as men, but simply to follow you and that you will lead us and guide us to become better men. And so we pray that uh, for everyone listening, we'd take up that work that you recommended to the young man, Timothy, uh, that with the help of your spirit, we'd pay closer attention to our own lives, our own motives, uh, that we would understand all that we've been given by your sacrifice, by your grace, by the gospel, and that those two forces, our self-awareness and gospel awareness, that they might just begin to grow us into men of greater maturity, 
God, we want to be men of character so that we can bear greater responsibility and serve our children better and serve our wives better and serve churches better and communities better. And we know we do that only by your help and by your grace at work within us. And so we pray you just give us the courage to be to open our lives up, to be vulnerable about the difficult things that are there and to search deep for the motives and instincts that it's fueling it and apply the things of the gospel in such a way that it would check those instincts and mature us into something better. And that God, in time, we would have that sense of being men, not just men, but men in your Christ-likeness, men who are faithful to serve you, and that we would do that work first by the gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.